Welcome back to the Uncertainties, the podcast for 20-somethings who don't quite have their shit together yet. I have really exciting news. In May, I launched the Uncertainties monthly newsletter, where I'm going to be chatting about all things pop culture. Um, As most of you know by now, I watch a lot of film and TV and I try to read as much as possible. So a lot of the newsletter is going to be kind of my unfiltered opinions on new films and books and TV shows, as well as other podcast recommendations and general kind of musings on life as I continue to stumble through my 20s. If that all sounds remotely interesting to you, then please subscribe through the link in my Instagram bio. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to put a quick warning to say that Eliza and I are going to briefly discuss a TV show that she starred in that has rape and sexual assault as one of its main themes. Today's guest is a Berkshire-born actress and singer, best known for her roles in Inkheart, the childhood classic Nanny McPhee, West End musical Loserville, and the critically acclaimed shows Sweet Vicious and Broadchurch. She's currently residing between her LA home and Atlanta with her husband and incredibly cute dog Otto, where she's playing Amanda Carrington on the CW Network's Dynasty, and her upcoming EP is set to be released later this year. So welcome, Eliza Bennett. Hello, it's so nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know that you're an incredibly busy person, so I'm very, very thankful that you have got some time to spend with us and chat. Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, I'm not as busy as you think I am. So that's, um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I had some days. So it's very sweet of <laughs> me to make me sound really important. So yeah, no, this is, I'm very, very excited. Also, complete tangent immediately, but... How often do people, when they see you, like, say it with the Hamilton song? Because it took everything in my mind not to be like, Eliza. And Peggy. I get it all the time. (laughs) To see your face. And then I was like, I can't do that. It's too corny. It won't work. It won't land. But surely you get that all the time. I do know. Yeah, it's funny. There's like a different generation that sings like a different song. Like growing up, people used to always sing that song. There's a hole in my bucket. Dear Eliza, do you remember that? And then like people used, uh, older people used to always be like, oh, Eliza Doolittle from My Fair Lady. Yeah. And then my generation were like Eliza Thornberry from. uh, Obviously. Obviously the classic, the Thornberrys. And then I'd say in the last three years, it's just gone all the way to Hamilton now, which I'll take it. I mean. I'll take it. There are worse places to be than Hamilton. Oh my you know? gosh, it's Fair so enough. good. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I do want to jump straight in because there is a lot to unpack um, with you, your life, your career, everything that's going on. You're a very busy person. Um, and I promise that the whole episode isn't going to be a massive nostalgia childhood trip down memory lane. <laughs> but saying that, I do really want us to quickly discuss some of your early roles. So let's cast our minds back to the mid-noughties. It's the era of Britney, Christina, Bend It Like Beckham. Some might say these are the glory days. Um, Your early childhood was actually really busy with a lot of musical theatre and acting roles. Am I right? I could be wrong because I do Mm -hmm. often spread lies on this podcast. But was your first role Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? It was. Yeah, I mean, that was on my first, but very good. My Wikipedia page is totally well. Um, It was... I mean, my first, if we're going to be really pedantic, my first role was a tap dancing chicken in a uh, touring <laughs> production of a far, this farmyard, like children's play. That was technically the first thing I ever got paid Amazing. for. Amazing. And I literally like came on in a little chicken outfit when I was like seven and I just was like, tweet, tweet, tweet. And I did a tap dance and then I went off. Um, some say it was my movie. best work. Yeah. <laughs> But oh, yeah, yes, how did first... it feel that that was the height of your career? It's seven years old. It will never and it's get all been downhill. <laughs> I do regularly say that I peaked at like 14 and my career has been downhill from there. But um, no, my first like professional, like feels like a, what it was like almost a full time job was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in the West End. And I think I was nine. And I did that for a year and a half. So I left when I was like 11 years old. Oh wow okay and then were you were you on stage performing it every single night? No so kids get split they legally can't do that so split the splits kids and split splits kids get split into um three groups so I would do like Monday Tuesday Wednesday and I do two shows on a Wednesday for a matinee and then like the next week I would do Thursday Friday and then two shows on a Saturday so you'd kind of do four shows a week. 
okay I mean that's still quite a lot though as like a young kid right what's what's crazy is you're going to school full-time so that's that's what I was thinking my poor parents have really uh, did an amazing job of both having full-time jobs two other children and also you know having one kid that wanted to be in London every other day or sometimes in other countries as well so they did a really amazing job to be honest yeah that's incredible I mean props to props to the Bennett's for sure Tim and Nikki baby yeah (laughs) shout out to them that's great but um yeah some other roles that you that you had of course Inkheart and Nanny McPhee that I did mention in the introduction and you did get to work with some pretty like heavy hitters I I would say they're recognized as some industry legends I mean you've got Emma Thompson Colin Firth Kelly McDonald Paul Bettany Andy Serkis obviously Dame Helen Mirren um how well do you remember that period of your life working on those films like do you remember it as though it was yesterday or is it all quite hazy to you now I remember Inkheart really well because I was 14 and I was 16 when it came out so those were like years I really remember and then Nanny McPhee I have lots of wonderful memories I was 12 when I did Nanny McPhee so I have all these memories but you know they're like um they're like snapshots rather than remembering sort of like the the day-to-day like I remember when we would do all the big farmyard animal scenes and like I remember being around all the animals and I remember like being in the tutoring room with the other kids and um but it kind of feels like most memories do when you were like 12 like they're kind of it's like remembering a vacation when you were 12 you know like you remember the highlights yeah but Inca I remember really I do remember really really well um and it's just funny because if I was doing that movie now and I knew the people that I was working with, I would feel all these like nerves and the sense to like impress and for people to feel like I'm vindicated that I got cast in this role. And there is like a real beauty when you're a child that I was just so fearless. Like one, I don't think I really knew like what famous people, I didn't really know that Emma Thompson was famous. Like I knew that my mom knew who she was, but I didn't, watch like Sense and Sensibility when I was 12. So I didn't really know. I knew Colin Firth was because I'd seen Bridget Jones. But other than that, like, you just, you just accept your present, like when you see it right in front of you. Uh, I think like, as I've got older, I've then become someone that worries about like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to be working with this person. I have to impress them. And so my whole childhood career, like I really was just like having the time of my life, which is wonderful you don't know when you're younger that what you're going through is unusual until you get older and then you're like oh that was insane that I had those life experiences like I all my anxiety and like uh insecurity would always be when I was back at school like amongst my peers like I felt very very comfortable being on set and being around adults I think that was what was hard as well sometimes is like being around adults your whole life and then going back to school and then adults become authority <laughs> and they're adults like on a film set and I'm the kid so now I'm an adult I know like obviously they had to be nice to me and like they wanted to take care of me and nurture me because I really did only work with lovely actors growing up I was very very lucky so they were all so kind to me like um, above and beyond so then when you go back to school like no one owes you that like mm. you have to like fit into your peer group and like make people like you and sometimes get, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out. So honestly, I felt much more comfortable and safe on set than I did like weirdly in school. That's so fascinating. Do you feel like part of that is, (laughs) not to get, this is probably actually quite a philosophical (laughs) question, but um, (laughs) like when you're on set and doing these roles, like you're playing a character, it's a moment where you're able to step outside of yourself whereas when you're back at school you are you and like there is that and also when you're like an early teen I don't know about you but like trying to just like fit in and like be you know unapologetically me and like what are like was just the hardest thing it's so hard but I do think what you just said definitely comes into it because it's like I can be very comfortable on a film set but if I had to do like a speech at a wedding I would get so nervous because again, I'm having to be me like, Mm. and you're being judged. Are you funny? Like, are you like, are you telling a great story? Do you seem like genuine and authentic and not like you're trying to make it about yourself? And so it's so true. Like I'm much more comfortable, like having a role of Eliza, the actor and Eliza's playing this character. Going back to 
being on on sets and you've mentioned that um these actors were incredible and they were really nurturing to you on set are there particular conversations or pieces of, of advice that you've remember having with particular actors that have kind of stuck with you within your career I remember constantly being told by every single person like to never change and I remember always being like annoyed at like why why do they think I'm gonna like change or whatever that means and now obviously I think change is growth but I don't think that's what they meant I think you see a child like on a certain trajectory on film sets and you feel like they have a great family and that they're, I think they looked at me and thought that, you know, that was like someone that was reasonably innocent and, and untarnished by the industry. And I think they were like, they've probably seen a thousand child actors go in the wrong direction. And so I was, they were, it was like a constant fear, like make sure that you stay grounded and that you don't change. And I didn't really understand it at the time, but I think they were worried that I would, could get carried away with, you know, all the dark side of, you know, success and whatever that is. And luckily for them, I wasn't half as successful as they thought I was going to be. So not <laughs> true. So I solved my problem. Um, so ridiculous. So I, mean, I think I, I was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I listened hard to that piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I decided to take long breaks in my career where I didn't work. It was just because of that advice, not because I couldn't book a job. <laughs> Something that I am curious to know is do you think it was really important for you and your family and the people surrounding you? to maintain this sense of normalcy within your childhood because that is one thing that um I think is a big assumption is that a lot of child actors skip such an important stage of their lives and that can often lead to you know whatever it is the the kind of demise or whatever um uh, is kind of mystified by the media but do you feel as though um that came from you and your family to kind of maintain this like level of normalcy in your life that was kind of hanging out with your friends or going to Italia Conti or like being at school and just like being able to have like normal life experiences yeah I think my parents would would say that that was incredibly important um for them to like establish that this was not going to become our family's whole world and you know I do think of myself as a child actor but then I have met other child actors in LA that like grew up in Disney and um, Nickelodeon and and I I do feel like my experience is incredibly different because they're doing it where they fully are in school at their job with the other kids on the show and they're in a city that revolves around the film industry Mm. and so I am very I do feel really lucky that I uh, was able to sort of have a, a relatively normal life whenever I wasn't working and I think that that's just like oh it just happened that way and I don't think it did I think my parents really worked hard to to make it that way um I think when I came home from filming then it would be very much like you still have to do the dishwasher and and, and tidy your room and you know and as a parent you are constantly being undermined on film sets because you are the parent but the entire crew and the runners and the PAs are offering to wait on your child hand and foot and you're trying to teach your kid that they have to do things for themselves and that not everything's going to be given to them and they have to be polite and they're in an environment in which literally people put their shoes on for them and they get you water when you need water and so I can imagine for my parents it was really hard to like try and uh, keep me grounded and keep me like no, you can go and get that glass of water yourself. You don't need to go and ask that person to go and get it for you. And they were really good at doing that. Yeah, and I think going, I almost went to drama school. I almost went to Sylvia Young's. I was two weeks away from going to drama school when I was 11. And then at the last minute, for some reason, I just felt weird about it. Like at 11, I just started crying. I was like, I don't want to go. And my mum was like, oh, you don't? And I was like, it's a bad decision. I don't know why I don't want to go anymore. And so my mum called Leighton Parker and um, was like, my other siblings had gone there and was like, can my sister, can my sister, can my daughter come um, in two weeks? And so I went into the school, I sat the exam and then I went to Lane Park. And that was definitely the best. I think people have great experiences at drama schools as kids, but that was the best Mm. decision for me, for sure. Um, You kind of spoke about 
child actors that you knew that did live in LA and did live within the film industry. Um, I am quite interested in the fact that you did then decide to move to LA permanently. So how old exactly were you when you made that move? So I was going, I'd been there for press, like I'd done there to, um, I'd been there for when Nanny McPhee came out to do press and then I went again to do Inkheart Press. So those are the first like two visits. And then when I was 18 years old, so I'd finally finished school, I was like, oh, I'm going to go out and do what we call pilot season, which is not very fun. But it, which all of these things are shifting now, streaming, whatever. But it used to be that all the main networks in, in LA would cast all of their pilots. For, so they'd make one episode of television um, in the beginning of the year between January and March and April. So I went out for two months. Uh, when I was 18 years old and then I went out again for two months and I would just keep doing like two to three month trips um, really on and off until I decided to move there permanently with my husband at how old am I now at like 25 yeah okay and how do you feel like how was that decision for you because your main family are still back in London right so was it everyone yeah yeah so is it quite was it quite daunting and like quite a bit I mean yeah it's it's a big move like physically it's like yeah a a 10-hour journey um but yeah did it feel like a lot to kind of leave behind I think the 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 worst part of it is that is the family part you know my brother and sister and my mom and dad are all still in England that's definitely the hardest part of it but I think because I had gone to LA like so often over the six years and the year that my husband and I got married I was doing a show out here and we had we just spent so much time apart I was here for like over half the year and so we were kind of having after we got married like what do we want our marriage to look like do we want to be doing this long distance this much and you know, I think it was more daunting for my husband to move because he didn't have the experiences in LA that I had had. Whereas I'd spent six years building a community, like building people that we could like be here with and and really meeting, especially women that I absolutely adored and loved. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like really ready to go. And I felt like to some degree, I kind of had to drag him with me, which uh was tough at first but then it took like I'd say like a year or two and then he like fell in love and like loves living there now but it was a harder transition for him than it was for me I think and then um bless him he like finally I finally was like okay we bought a house and then I was like no we're gonna go to Atlanta I was like I'm so sorry but pack your bags (laughs) so oh you're comfortable you love it okay let's go (laughs) I know and I'm like lover of change like I hate habit I don't like doing the same thing every day I'm like really kind of a spontaneous person. And my sweet husband is like, loves security, (laughs) loves the same day every day, hates change. And for some reason he married me, which is like, bless him. I've really had to like shove some, throw some papers in. It's not an easy life being married to an actor. So I am grateful that he stuck with me. Oh, shout out to James. We're shouting out everyone on this. Shout out James. Um, So let's talk about Sweet Vicious because it's such an interesting show. It's such an interesting concept. Is that the show that you were just mentioning when you said that you were back and forth quite a lot? Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That was what when you were around 25, early 20s? I would say, yeah, 24. Okay. Okay. Um, So Sweet Vicious, it has an 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty insane. I know, that's sick, honestly. But for those of you who might not be um, fully clued up on the show, MTV describes Sweet Vicious as an offbeat superhero story for millennials. It follows the story of unlikely friends Jules, played by Eliza, and Ophelia, who become masked vigilantes to fight against sexual assault on their college campus. The critical critical, sorry, success of the show is recognised through their ability to inject a hopeful and fun energy into such a heavy and trauma-filled narrative without sensationalising or belittling uh, what sexual assault survivors go through. Um, and something that I thought was really interesting that I read in a publication um, that said that Sweet Vicious deserves another look because of how effortlessly the series creator and lead writer Jennifer Robinson subverts expectations of both the superhero and vigilante and rape revenge narratives. Um, it has a huge like cult, like really... 
uh, dedicated fan base. And it feels like, and again, I could be wrong here, that this is like quite a special project to you. Because I know it's something that you still mention quite a lot on your socials. What was it about this role that um, really excited you or that, you know, you felt that you really wanted to be a part of this project? Yeah, I mean, well, I'd never read a script like it. I mean, when I first read it, it was a, it was a half hour, which is crazy to pack all of that content or what you just said. It's got a lot of themes in it in half an hour. And after we made the pilot, they changed it to an hour, which I think was appropriate. But I, uh, it was a year before Me Too. So it wasn't something that was being spoken about. It was it was right around, we were shooting around the time that the Brock Turner case came out, which for anyone that doesn't know is, um, I can't remember what university it was, but was the guy who was the swimmer at university who um, sexually assaulted a girl who was completely passed out behind um, some rubbish back like behind some rubbish and two people saw him do it and that's how he got convicted but he only got three months <laughs> he only got three months which is just you know reflective of the system mm-hmm. um so it was that was kind of so co- like um university sexual assault was starting to be spoken about but it really hadn't been um it hadn't had a fire underneath it like me too did uh, where really lots of people started coming forward so i read the script and you know, every anything that I'd read about rape or sexual assault up until that point had been incredibly harrowing, understandably. And rape was honestly often just used as a backstory for why women were uh, tortured or messed up in some mm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had never read something that not only was like <clears throat> about what happened to this girl, but also it was about the direct aftermath of it and what she was and, and the fact that she had to live on campus with this person all the time who happened to be her best friend's boyfriend and was completely uh, frozen by the ability to do anything about it and was helpless. Mm-hmm. And then the crazy thing about all of it is that the script was funny. The, the script was about like female friendship and and confiding in someone and what does healing look like? Um, and Taylor Dearden, who plays Ophelia in it, really brought this like comedy and basically brought this levity by being the character that finally Jules feels seen by. Um, and so all of that in like one script, also this writer, Jennifer Kane Robinson, who I adore, who's a friend of mine, who has gone on to do unbelievable things now because I truly do think she is a voice of our generation. Um, this was her first ever project. So when you read wow. something like that, you recognize like, holy shit, who's this writer? Like, why has no one heard of her before? Um, so that's a very long winded answer to the fact that I had never read anything like this. And also I got to play like a vigilante who beat the shit of, out of rapists on university campuses. It was like, who, what script does that come across your door very often? And now we have more of those things, you know, like Promising one Young Woman with Kerry Mulligan, like, you know, I think a lot of those things that came out of that have a, it, people have evolved with that idea and run with it. And it's amazing. But I really do think Jen made something that was the first of its kind. And I imagine that's why it had such a um, cult following for it. Um, not only are you kind of like working with very rich material and the fact that um, like the character work. So the fact that you're playing a survivor of sexual abuse, which is, you know, it's it's a lot, um, I imagine, from like an acting perspective to enter into that role. But as you also mentioned, physically inhabiting this alter ego of a vigilante must have been a lot of work. Did you have to do a lot of stunt work? Well, we did like six weeks martial arts training, which was like no, so fun. I was so, so excited. Cool. But then like when you're working on MTV, like you don't have like a huge budget and time so like when we were doing the fight scenes like often it was just like we'll just let the stunt double do it because we don't have enough time to like make me look good so um so we did do it just so we could do like the beginning and after of punches and stuff and make sure we had the right like body and whatever but I loved it like I really loved we did like you know three sessions a week and we were trained by the most amazing people and um yeah it was awesome I mean I'd always wanted to do something where I got to be like fucking cool and like beat people up and because I'm just not that in real life like I'm not a fighter <laughs> so it was yeah it was amazing like Jules really um honestly playing a character that you look up to is pretty cool actually 
Yeah, that's so, that's really exciting. Also, I imagine that is one of the best things about acting is that when you do have to play a character who has a, a particular skill set, they often get like the best person in that field to do the training. So you're always like, oh, yeah. it must be so great that you always get to, yeah, like learn off of the best. Oh yeah, ask my stunt double Tara, like she she now does, uh, she did Thor and she does all the Marvels and yeah she's amazing like I follow her on Instagram and I'm like I can't believe I worked with her once like she's so cool but she's such a cool person yeah so it is crazy oh my god um the show has its own uh wiki page which I think is pretty a a good testament to how um (laughs) how much of a cult following it has so I actually wanted to ask you a question to see how well you know and remember your role okay I think yeah don't worry I don't I didn't go for anything too um this will be embarrassing if not (laughs) Uh, we can cut it out we got it out if it (laughs) if it doesn't go well but um so your character is called Jules Thomas do you remember the full names of her three best friends Kennedy played by Aisha D. Um, in the show, I become best with friends with Ophelia, but does it count as Ophelia? No. Or is it my, Ophelia like, sorority is, girls? I think these are your sorority girls. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, oh, no. I know Kennedy. Kennedy's definitely uh, on here. I know the actresses' names. Hold on, who did Skyler play? Oh my gosh, I've forgotten their names. Jen's gonna kill me when she knows this. <laughs> I know the actors' names. Um, wait, give one, me the letter. One begins with a G. Well, here we are. You know, <laughs> like freezing. Uh, I'm like, now I won't even remember what my what job I'm working on next. <laughs> You're gonna have to tell me. So Gabby. Gabby, obviously Gabby, Gabby yep. And uh, Fiona. Oh no, Fiona. Yeah. yeah, you got, it was yeah, literally on the tip of your tongue. Gabby and Fiona, they're the best. By the way, they're like a real highlight of the show. They're so funny in it. Um, Lindsay and Victoria are very funny in that show. Oh, it sounds like you guys really made like a proper kind of family. And it sounds like you guys have all kind yeah. of stayed close in touch and stuff, which is really nice. Yeah, I'm really close to the boys as well. Um, like, the guy who plays my boyfriend in it, um, Nick Fink and Stephen Friedrich and and Taylor's amazing. But I also think like, even if you don't see people all the time, when you work on a show that feels like that special to all of us, I think we all knew we were working on something really important. Mm. You just kind of have like a tie to those people, you know, it's like that we like, yeah, we did that together. Like we did that show and we all like know how special it was. So. No, that's really, really nice. And um obviously never underestimate the power of fan influence do you think if sweet vicious was ever to return to the screen that you would uh return to your role as Jules oh yeah in a heartbeat I mean we all wanted to do more like all of us we I mean we 100% thought we would be doing more but I think like what a lot of people don't understand and just because it's the way the industry is and it's hard for fans to get this like we have no control and yeah. MTV were in a in a weird place in their business at that point like the head of MTV had changed three times from when I first started auditioning and you know they didn't they cancelled pretty much all of their shows so even though we were like you know critically acclaimed for MTV uh we have no control over um over the way that goes, sadly. So we 100% would have made, we'd have made that show for five seasons if we could have. Yeah. So uh, we had like, I mean, Jen had the full five season arc written out, so. Yeah, it, is, it must be really frustrating. And I guess, again, that's the thing of being an actor is it's so, there are so many uh, parts of it that are completely out of your control. Yeah, most of it, honestly. And you do learn to let go of that as you get older. Because you have, otherwise you'll go insane. Yeah. And also, it's really hard to get one season made. So, mm. like, I try to just hold on to the fact that the fact that we got a season is incredible. It's a triumph in itself, definitely. Yeah, we made um, ten hours of television that we're really, really proud of, and people really, really liked it. So that in itself is a win. And, um, you know, and we met these amazing. The experience was amazing. So no mm. one can take that away from you either. So I'm so grateful for that show and and for what it brought me and for the people that it put in my life. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I wonder, it, can, can people still watch it now? They must be able to. You must be able to. Yeah, it. I just think you have to purchase it. I think it's like uh, on, iTunes okay. or on Amazon. You can like rent it on Amazon or iTunes or, you know, anywhere that yeah, you yeah. get. 
<laughs> you heard it here, guys. Um, so let's talk a little that. bit about your current role in, I say dynasty. But yeah, Brits say dynasty. I don't know what it is. It, dynasty, it just, dynasty. It depends what country you're in. Like we yeah. say dynasty in America, we say dynasty in England. Australia says dynasty. So like my mum says dynasty to me on the phone and I'm always like, oh, dynasty. And she's like, no, dynasty. Remember where you're from. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm used to saying dynasty now, obviously, because like if I was the only person on set saying the name a different way, I feel like I'd be like pretentious or something. So (laughs) I say it so I can fit in with my American friends. Yeah, no, fair enough. But yeah, it would be great for you to talk a little bit about the role of Amanda Carrington. You've been playing this role for it's about just under 20 episodes now you started at um, the beginning of last year is that yeah we're just about to start shooting 15 and I was in like six of the last episode so yeah around that yeah good get well done thank you IMDB is you know just serving up a real useful really (laughs) it's a great place Um, but yeah what uh, what is it about this character that you really love and what um if you're able to give any ideas of like what's coming up for the season or like what people can expect, um, yeah. that would be exciting. Well, when does this episode come out? Uh, probably not for about a month or okay. so. So, yeah. so this season really has been like a, you know, a romantic arc for Amanda. Oh, okay. Exciting. Um, I think the most, I, I, Amanda is gay so at the moment that that um was announced in the last season I feel like a lot of like the LGBTQIA fans were just like were just like oh my gosh who's she gonna be with please can we have like a gay relationship on the show because there hasn't really been that many like female lesbian relationships on the show so I was really excited to uh be a part of that and I always think like with a character like Amanda's very like strong and smart and uh ballsy and fiery and I think like when you put like a romantic story in it it's always going to soften someone up and show their vulnerabilities and yeah so I was excited that they did that um and obviously by the time this comes out these episodes will have already aired so the main like I feel like point of this season is is um Amanda's relationship with uh Kirby on the show who she falls for pretty hard. So I don't know myself like where that leads right now, but right now we are shooting like a pride episode, which is really fun. So like our costumes are really crazy. And fun. Oh, cool. um, so yeah, it's been really fun doing that uh, with Madison Brown who plays Kirby and, um, and like, you know, I love Rome. I'm like a big rom-com fan. So like, it's cute to like shoot like these rom-com moments sometimes where you're like chasing after the girl and you're like, I love you. And so it's been like, it's been like fun to do that because I haven't really done necessarily like those like big moment romance scenes. So, um, so that's been really fun for this season. That's really exciting. I would say one thing that um, really stands out of the show also is the um, outfits. I feel like oh my gosh, costume yeah. is just like incredible. Do you have a lot of say over over that, or is that all completely controlled by the hair, costume, makeup department? Well, Erin, who is our costume designer, is incredible. So she will bring like in the fitting, there'll be like racks of incredible designer clothes, and then and then it'll be like a collaboration. She'll be like, "This is what I was thinking for this." And then we try on and it is collaborative in the fact that like, I can be like, I don't like the way that that looks or maybe we can add this or I love this dress and there's Otto in the back. And um, <laughs> my, my dog's just sticking his head in. Oh. Um, and so uh, it is really, it's actually more collaborative than any other show I've probably done. Oh. Um, yeah, so she has like a vision for the character. Like there's definitely, you'll notice if you watch Dynasty that each character kind of has a color palette that they wear. Like Fallon wears really bright, like jewel tones, like lime greens, pinks, and Crystal wears a lot of pastels. And I have a lot more like earthy tones. Um, so they're in like the world of the character. Like I couldn't just wear like a hot pink suit because like my character wouldn't really do that. Yeah. Be too foul. But so it's in like our world. And then within that world, we have a lot of freedom. And with hair and makeup, we can bring in ideas and uh, anything really crazy has to be like approved. But um, but other than that, we really are like, let's do that. Let's do a blue eyeliner today. Let's do a, we can, it's been really kind of amazing and fun. And normally I've done like British, like 
grimy dramas where we like have to look awful in every scene. So I've never really done a show that's like, like super glam. glam. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, so glam. Like I'm wearing so much foundation. Do not need to see, but we do not look like this. Um, but it's fun for sure. It's like a little dress up. So it's really fun. That's really exciting. And acting in heels as well. What is that like? That's not fun. Because <laughs> that sounds like my worst nightmare. I don't think I've worn heels for like years. So that must the be- The worst part is heels and spanks. Like, Oof, yeah, that's a- Like I didn't really realise that I had to wear spanks, but then I, I wore them and I was like, oh, I get like that it smooths like the clothes down. And like when the clothes are that expensive, it's like- you're trying to get like a silhouette or whatever oh my gosh but then you need to pee it's like you have to take everything you own off it's oh, just like yeah no. and the heels are sometimes you'll get a surprisingly comfortable pair but like Liz Gillies who plays Fallon on it she said that like past season three she basically just stopped feeling her toes and now she doesn't feel pain anymore <laughs> oh god and I was wow. like I don't okay. know whether I'm gonna have enough time to get to that stage like I can feel my toes and they hurt <laughs> And they're in incredible pain. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh my god, it's nice actually because you guys. Um, would you say that you're pretty? You're pretty close with Liz, aren't you? Yeah, she's. We. I think we're similar age. Like, um, she has been so welcoming and amazing, and um, she's a lovely person. So I've been really grateful, like, to meet her and to hang out with her. And um, yeah, like I didn't know anyone in Atlanta, so I really did need people to be nice to me. So I was really grateful <laughs> that Liz was. <laughs> took you under her wing um and also because I noticed that um over Christmas you guys released that um little Christmas song together which was very cute um would you would you ever think about doing some kind of musical collaboration like a proper musical collaboration in the future yeah we talked we said like like a month ago we were like oh we should do another um like song or something and obviously like her schedule particularly more than mine on the show is is even crazier so we've talked about doing something else together I don't know where that will lead but I mean she's like she's one of the most ridiculously talented singers I've ever heard in my entire life like my voice can nowhere near do what what she can do We're, we're different in that sense but she's like I mean Liz is just like wildly, wildly talented. Um, and I hope one day everyone will hear truly how the stuff she can do because she is she's crazy. So I get really I got really nervous singing in front of her, honestly. Really? I was like oh. very, very nervous. And she's so <laughs> encouraging and lovely. Like she made me feel like I was really good and stuff, but I really like compared to her was, <laughs> was not as good as her. But um, but yeah, she's super kind. She like recorded that whole song herself in her little studio. So she's like, oh wow, a woman of many talents. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of music, uh, you obviously we I mentioned that you um, are hopefully releasing an EP at the end of this, or I don't know, at some point this year. I might not. Yeah, be TBD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and your song, "Do You Think About Me," which is super super catchy, has over thirty five thousand streams on Spotify. Um, I was wondering who are your musical influences generally and also for this EP? Yeah, it's a good question because I think it's changed. Like I think um, you obviously, um, when I released the music originally, I was very early on in my songwriting and, you know, I was learning what it even is to like have a produced track and how to get what's in your brain out into a computer and all of those things. So um I think I'm getting, I'm hopefully getting better, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, I think like when those first songs came out, I was listening to a lot of Lana Del Rey's album, um, Norman, I don't know if I can swear, Norman Shawfin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was listening to a lot of that. I'd say this new, this new set of songs on the EP um, is a hybrid probably. I've been listening to a lot of like Ash, I find she, I love her. There's an artist called Benet that I really love. Um, there's even like a little, like, just because I'm English, there's like a little bit of Lily Allen in like a couple of the songs I feel like, like old school throwback. Um, I didn't realize that until someone listened to it and was like, oh my gosh, this is like a little Lily Allen vibes. And I was like, wow, I'd never heard that reference. Um, but yeah, I do listen to a lot of like female singer songwriter artists. Um, who were just like excellent storytellers. I think Olivia Rodrigo is incredible. I cannot believe she's like 12 years old. She's Honestly, amazing. Insane. It's upsetting. Like I can't believe the music she's gonna write when she's like 35, she's yeah. writing what she's writing now. Um, 
so I listened to a lot of female artists last year and um, that really helped, I think, like uh, I gravitated towards certain sounds and certain music. And I think that really did uh, sort of stitch in the, the um, patchwork that's become this EP now. That's so cool. Very exciting. And what would you say are, are there some kind of general themes to this EP? Like how, what's your approach to songwriting? I think it's, and it has, it's perfect for this podcast and the fact, I think it has ended up being like each song has kind of been an important snapshot of my twenties. Um, I haven't really spoken about the EP yet. So this is a, this is a first for me, but uh, you know, like one of the songs is about my most recent song that I wrote is about living in Georgia uh, in Atlanta and what that's like and long distance. And uh, one of the songs is about those early years and moving to LA and what that was like. And uh, one of them is about a toxic friendship that really molded me in my early 20s. It was really difficult. And uh, uh, one of the songs, what's the fourth one? Uh, one of the songs is like uh, what I wrote after I first started going to therapy and I felt like I I'd started like unraveling in my I felt like I was starting to peel back the surface and then I just felt like I couldn't stop digging and then I was like not liking what I was finding about myself and I wrote that song when I was feeling really really insecure and then um and then one of those the songs is about some of the struggles that my husband and I have been through in when he's been sick in the past so um, so I feel like they're really kind of like these five like defining moments like in my 20s that have really the things that I learned from the most were like these really tough times and um, mm-hmm. looking at now I've just turned 30 literally last month so it's interesting like that they're coming out now and I like look back on it I'm like wow they really are like the things that hit the heaviest for me in my 20s so that's really that's so interesting do you find that music and songwriting for you is the place where you can be the most vulnerable yes a hundred percent I say things in songs I would never say out loud um there is like a safety in that like there's like a an it's vulnerable and raw and then there's also like a like an, an almost like an, an, an this is a hard word to say an anonymity to it as well because mm music is subjective and you don't know how they're going to take your lyric and like you know what you meant but there is like creative license that people don't you know directly know what you're meaning all the time and yeah but it is vulnerable like but for me like with acting I love my work so much but as we talked about like I'm out of control with it I'm I'm waiting for people to give me jobs and then I often have to like do three months of auditioning and then I work and then I do four months and then I have to wait eight months for it to come out and then it finally comes out and there's a real power in that I can sit if I'm lucky if it's a good day I can sit at a piano and sometimes write a song in 25 minutes and you're like wow like in an hour I literally have a piece of art that I made by myself yeah and I found that feeling quite addictive yeah Um, because I started songwriting only when I was like 26 so it's been more of a recent endeavor for me I think just because for some reason I felt like I should only do one thing like I think that's it might be a little bit of a British mentality and I think millennials are breaking through it a bit yeah that's so interesting because I was literally going to ask you because obviously I mentioned earlier on in like you know childhood years (laughs) um that you are I very much think of you as being right sat in between Um, acting and singing because you're in that kind of musical theatre space and one of the things I actually really wanted to know from you is is whether or not you saw yourself in one space more than than the other and it sounds as though you felt as though you had to kind of place yourself as an actor or an actress as opposed to being an actor singer or an actor songwriter or um, being able to like equally explore both of those avenues. Yeah I think I felt like I was, I had to pick and I put, I picked acting. Cause I think like the idea of being like a triple threat or whatever, I would like makes people roll their eyes, which it makes me roll my eyes too. But then I, I, I don't know whether it's like an American culture or it also might be like just our generation as well of like this idea that you can have your fingers in lots of pies. And mm. I love that because I also think with art forms, like, I'm rolling my eyes even using the word art forms but 
with art forms like they do all massively over overlap like you know I have friends who are writers that write scripts but they're also really amazing lyricists for songs and um and so the idea that like I could play the piano and I love writing and I am a singer like why would I not be writing music and I honestly would love to write music for other people as well like there's a freedom to the music because it's not my bread and butter like because my Mm -hmm. acting pays my bills like I have been really free to just explore this on the side without any sort of expectation. But then the downside of that, which I've had to really work on, which I will say, like I'm coming out of my twenties, I feel very determined to not be this way anymore. Is that because I'm not established as a songwriter or an artist yet, really. Um, I like, you know, want it to be amazing and I want people to think I'm good at it and all these things. And, um, and that can sometimes stop me releasing it because uh, is it good enough or is it going to have the reception I want? And it can stop me like doing things and like pr- pressing into that direction. And, but really like <laughs> you, releasing something good or okay is so much better than releasing nothing at all. Mm. And I wish someone told me that earlier, like, because you're only going to ever write something incredible because you released all the other stuff lower down on the tier beforehand. It's very rare that like the first thing you ever do is, you know, a master. And also it might be a masterpiece, but you're never, ever going to find out until you just throw yourself into it. And art is so subjective. Like I am obsessed with certain songs and I play them to people and they're like, you listen to this? Like, and I'm eh. like, this is incredible. So I, <laughs> I'm like, just write the music that you want to do write the script you want to write make the podcast you want to make and the people that listen to it will find you I just basically like made a pledge like as I turned 30 to like not get in my own way anymore because I was like the only person that's like stopping me from doing all these things that I want to do is is literally me like I'm the only person that's stopping myself from doing any of them I just have to throw myself at it this is why things like this are really important because I listen to podcasts all the time and I listen to artists talk and like you take someone like Bill Hader, I don't know if you know who that is. Yeah, that? SNL, I love him. Yeah, so he Barry. like I was listening to someone else talk about it. He obviously wrote Barry; it's an amazing show. But in um, while he was in SNL, he like wrote seven different scripts, and none of them ever got made. Do you know what I mean? And to mm. write one script is exhausting and harrowing. But I was talking to Jad Apatow, I was being interviewed about it, and he was like, and it just shows you like he would never have written Barry without writing those seven scripts. And yeah, so it's so bizarre that you see like things as failure and like, but they're all just like writing. They're all training exercises. Yeah, exactly. It's just like bringing you closer to a point. Yeah, a hundred percent. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the things that I really wanted to quickly chat to you about is reflecting on your twenties, which we've obviously kind of um, touched on already. And for your 30th birthday, which you mentioned was in March, um, you did a post about the 20 things that you learned in your twenties. My personal fave, just because it really uh, (laughs) describes me and where I'm at in my life right now is crying in the shower is a really cathartic thing. Oh, so Reach that one to the choir. I mean, yeah. Also special (laughs) shout out to the car because the car is probably second to the shower. Oh, for sure. The shower feels good because you don't know like what's your face, what's your tears, what's your, what's you can really let it go. But the car also like with a good song. Mm. But then when you pull up to the red light and then you look over and people are like, Jesus, she is not in a good way. She should not be driving right now. Oh my God. Yeah, there's (laughs) simultaneously crying and singing, I think, for both car and shower because like acoustics the the tears the steam everything just it just feels so right um and then the other one that I thought was great was what you have literally just said which is making art that's okay is better than making no art at all and I literally said which is I'm now basically just copying what you said but is I'm so happy that you did say that because I think too many people are afraid of pursuing their passions or beginning their projects because of this fear and I think that's one thing like even with this podcast I was at like absolute dick he was like I'm in a podcast and I think I may have said that for about 18 months before I actually did it and then after a while I was like I actually just can't be this person anymore I just need to commit to it but it was that exact feeling of being like oh but then what if I do it and then people are like why is she doing that she's such a weirdo and then I was like I relate to that so much yeah I I honestly think people relate to that so much and then it's funny because this is why we have to talk to each other it's because when I saw that you were doing this podcast I was like oh that's so cool like I saw it like I saw on the thing 
like I saw it through Flo or whatever, but my sister not me, your friends. And then um, shout out Flo. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. She's doing that podcast. I think that's such a good concept. I was like, I love that she's doing that. And then in my head, I was like, and then when Flo was like, oh, do you think you want to do Karis' podcast? I was like, oh my gosh, I thought she was going to ask me sooner. I was like, 100% I want to do it. Oh, I love it. I, really, I, I got just asked me sooner. But I was like, oh, Eliza won't say yes. <laughs> and that's Isn't it? Okay, about. that's another lesson. The worst thing I can say is no which by the way, I was never going to do, but like the worst, that's also a great lesson is like the worst thing. I'm terrible at asking someone for something for advice or like, would you want to work on this with me? Or would you want to do this project with me? And then I just remember that like most people that are good people are just like us. And then they're wanting to connect and they're wanting to, they hear it like, oh, they value me as a person. They think like, I have a good opinion or I have something to offer them. And that's a compliment for them. Yeah. They don't see it as an insult. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like as well as Brits, like we're trained not to like ask for anything from someone? Oh yeah, like, totally. My dad was like that. He was like, don't ask anything of anyone because like it just won't go well. And then like, if you like ask to borrow something from someone, you'll break it and then they'll charge you for it. And then it'll affect your friendship. Like that's like my dad's so funny. <laughs> and your relationship will be over. And then you're like, yeah, he's just like, nothing good comes from owing anyone anything, which is so funny. Cause I think a lot of those times it is true, but then there are times where I have been vulnerable and put myself out there and it has made me closer to people and like created these really beautiful situations that I like. I've really valued in my career so it's like a fine it's like a fine line but I do think it's very British to be like keep to yourself don't tell anyone else what you're doing don't ask anyone else for anything and like just look like you're really doing well and successful and that you're not struggling yeah but also don't shout too much about your success self-deprecation in British people is like the worst you can um, never the no. minute that you're like hi I'm doing a thing everyone's like well look at that person who are you <laughs> and they think they're so good doing their shitty little thing and you're like, oh, you just can't win you really can't I win. think there's no. a funny thing because the thing I miss most about the UK is like that irreverence and self-deprecation I think it's great like no one takes themselves too seriously it's wonderful like you like being a child actor in England you like come home you're like oh yeah today I shot in Italy and both your siblings are like oh did you (laughs) like there's no way you can be like which is the best medicine but then on the other side like Americans are really enthusiastic and I think it's wonderful because like they celebrate the things that are meant to be celebrated. But sometimes I do feel like everything is celebrated and then you don't really know like what was the important thing that was Yeah, yeah, stuff. like you can't differentiate like the special from the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh my gosh, this food is awesome. This is the best food I've ever eaten in my life. And I'm like, is it though? But I feel like there's a combo between the two where you yeah, can be like, there needs to be celebratory in the middle for sure. Yeah, celebratory about the right things and irreverent about the things that you need to be brought down to earth on. But if you've worked like for years on something and then you do it, like that deserves, I think, a pat on the back from you oh, yeah. and from the people around you. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, another one that you said, I'm reflecting in your 20s, was looking out for kindness. I really like this one, especially because, again, the industry that you're in, I feel like is quite notoriously acknowledged as being, you know, a bit cutthroat. It can often be the center of ridicule for lacking kindness as a characteristic I think so do you think you know being an actor kindness is incredibly important because it's hard to protect yourself and your boundaries yeah I do think kind you know my mum really taught me the importance of like kindness and I think we all fall short sometimes and we all get caught up in ourselves but I do think like you can meet someone that's really like blunt and opinionated but you can also still tell they're kind Mm. like I think to be kind doesn't have to be like people pleasing like people pleasing or or to to put your own you know the things that you want and need to express on the side Mm. but I do think you can go about your business in a in a kind way and I'm very very eyes open like at work on how people treat guest stars so people that are only in for an episode or how people treat the PAs or the runners like I do really keep my eyes peeled for that because well one day by the way those PAs are going to be directors exactly so like Mm -hmm. even if they never become directors you should still treat them well but that stuff does come to bite you back on the on the bum but like 
so I do try and like search for that. But I, I, I think the danger of Hollywood is like if, if certain people are behaving badly, it can become normalized. And then before you know it, you actually do have a, to a toxic workplace. So the people that are the head of, of a cast or the head of um, production or a director, you really set the tone for how people yeah. are going to treat each other. And if I ever am lucky enough to have the position where I'm at the top of the Sheet. I do try and take that seriously. Uh, I felt like I wanted to talk about relationships in your 20s. I mean, you've obviously spoken um, here and there about, about your husband. And I think for many people in their 20s, it's seen as a time uh, kind of stumbling through weird, wonderful and often quite traumatic perils of dating and the dating pool. But you actually had a, quite a different experience in your 20s and that you uh, have been married to your husband, James, for quite a long time. Um, yeah. And I wanted to know, how you have found married life in your 20s and how you think it's shaped that decade for you oh wow that's a good question <laughs> that's a big question um I did meet my husband I mean when I knew you so like I met my husband when I was 15 so we are sort of this bizarre story that kind of feels like it doesn't happen anymore um and I will say marrying him was 100% the best decision I've ever made in my life of all the decisions I've made but I also will say that you know it takes a lot of work more often than not if you have a perfect marriage then that's incredible and and good for you just it takes it takes work and um we put all this work into like our, our careers and our friendships and stuff and so the idea that we wouldn't you know really commit the most time that we have to like if you want to be married to someone to to your marriage and we've gone through a lot in the last we've been together 14 years now and you know there's been a lot of ups and downs but I I'm probably forgetting what your question is now but my biggest takeaway is I think like the only thing that we could ask from each other is that we have like really committed to like trying to grow for each other and learn how to communicate with each other and you, I don't know whether you're into Enneagram or any of that sort of stuff but I it's like a personality test but like um like learning how to like communicate with each other and how he really is a polar opposite human being to me like I cannot believe that we married each other I do really <laughs> don't understand him he's good at everything I'm not good at like his brain is so different from mine so like really dedicating time to being like not expecting him to to change the way he thinks to the way that I think because mm. that would be really disrespectful like I married him because I was attracted to the fact he was different from me so I have to respect the fact that he's he thinks in a different way and I should be trying to learn from the way that he sees the world and vice versa so I will say number one like therapy is incredible and we love marriage therapy and we go not when we're in a crisis situation like we go like as maintenance so that we don't hopefully get into a crisis situation. Mm. And I'm not saying we will go every week our whole lives. Like sometimes we take months off, but it is like a commitment that we make to each other. And um, I'm proud to be part of the generation that like is normalizing therapy. Yeah. Doesn't mean every therapist is good. Does it? Some therapists are crap. Like doesn't mean it's all good. And sometimes people lead you down the wrong way, but if you can find a good one, then like hold on to it because I, I found it really to be like very much life-changing so and then the thing the two last questions that I always ask uh every one of my guests before we wrap up is what is the one thing that you feel the most uncertain about right now oh my gosh um I feel uncertain about how um the music side of my career is going to go so it really does feel like a free dive like I've been working on this stuff for like two years and so maybe even longer than that on one of the songs and so it feels like I don't want it to be anticlimactic and so but also I have to let go of that as well and just say it'll be what it'll be and I made it and I enjoyed it and then move on mm. but um so I do feel uncertain about like what that side of my career looks like and is it going to be just like a hobby or is it going to be successful or um is it okay if it's any and all of those things so um so yeah I'm diving into that this year which I'm nervous about but also you know I just want to be at a place of peace with it. You know? Yeah. And just, yeah, find the process exciting instead of getting like crippled by the 
the result right yeah exactly exactly um that's a very good uh that's a good thing to live by I think for sure definitely and what is the thing that you feel the most certain about right now well I'm never certain in my career ever I think that's like the free ride of it um um but I do feel certain because I think when you have like a few more years experience and you've lived your lows you do know that it comes back up again always so I am the only thing I'm certain of is that everything is temporary that everything is temporary and everything has a season so when things are tough like they won't be tough forever and when things are great and secure and you feel really secure in your life it's not going to be secure forever something else is coming so you might as well just like jump on and enjoy the ride because it's going to go up or down whether you try and change it or not so um I'm certain about the uncertainty, I guess, is the question. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Eliza, it was so good to see you. I know we have to stay in touch because I'm going to do it for long years. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, The Uncer40s will be our next podcast. Perfect. You can can do it when I just turn 50. It'll be perfect. no no honestly I like I'm so appreciative of you taking your time out you've been like incredibly generous so thank no, you no it's been an honor honestly um, it's my pleasure I loved that uh, you wanted me on I feel I feel lucky to be on a little podcast a little podcast um but no thank you so much and um all of like the best of luck with um all the music I'm going to be looking out for it and listening and enjoying and loving um and everything really like continuing with Dynasty and all your other projects I mean you've got so much going on so um I'm just yeah I'm on the other side of the pond cheering cheering and clapping for you I feel the same way I love this I'm excited for all you do with this podcast and all you're going to do from here onwards Thank you so much, Eliza, for joining me today. And that's been another episode of The Uncertainties. We'll be back very soon. Bye.